0: Bringing up the announcements, I'm supposed to say, because I might forget. (laughs) One of the things that we value and that we really seek to foster is a sense of church family, and that is available for everyone. So one of the things that we do each year is have a Thanksgiving celebration together. That's coming up in two weeks, November 19th. There's a lot of new faces out there, so let me describe for you what actually happens. This room will be set up with long rows of tables. Everyone will gather around those rows of tables for worship time. And then after the worship service, we file out, and we've got this layout all set up where you can fill up your plates with all of the delicious food that you bring, as well as... um, ham and turkey, and then come back in here and celebrate together. It's an important time because for many the holiday season can be difficult, and this is a time to enjoy family, to enjoy church family together. It's also important this holiday season not only to foster that sense of family but also to foster a sense of service to our community. And so combined with the Thanksgiving service at this time of year we also have bumper crop. So today, today out in the gathering area you can pick up a grocery bag but there's actually nothing special about these grocery bags, if you forget you can use your own. Fill it up in the course of this week and then bring it next week and leave it behind your car in the parking lot. And the youth go around and they gather up those groceries, we'll deliver it to the Holly Springs food cupboard. Last time we had a delivery there, they were so very grateful. Uh, This is a time of year when many people have needs and we can serve the community that way. So you have two assignments today. One is to sign up for Thanksgiving. And please keep in mind that we need some more turkeys and some more ham, so if you're able to prepare that for the church family, we'll be grateful. Uh, But at least let us know that you're going to be here and sign up to bring a hot and a cold side if you're not going to bring one of the meat dishes. And then the second assignment is to pick up one of these bags and in the course of the week to fill it up and bring it back next week. Did I do all right, Kelly? Kelly? We've remembered the persecuted church today. I don't know if you've ever actually known someone who has gone to prison for their faith. Uh, I have had the humbling privilege of being friends with someone who was torn away from his family and was tortured in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And while he was there, He kept proclaiming the gospel, and people came to know Jesus because of it. He was victorious. He didn't just survive. He was victorious in those most difficult of circumstances. Our circumstances aren't that difficult, but you know what? Our experience right now is hard. How many of you are looking forward to election season 2024? Just what our fractured nation needs, right? It's not going to be an easy year. Our circumstances right now are tough as we look at the situation around the world. And as we grieve the violence of wicked men, our society is fractured. Some of us had an opportunity to go out and just talk with some neighbors, hey, what do we need? And people talk about isolation, and people talk about how much on edge everybody is. We live in a difficult time. I'm a little anxious about the economic picture. I don't know about you. What's going to happen? And these pressures, these concerns begin to grow, and they build up within us. And then on top of that, so many of us are going through difficult personal situations, loss after loss. It can have to do with our loved ones. It can have to do with work. But it seems like just one blow after another. This is a tough time to be alive. And we want to have inner peace. Do you remember the serenity prayer? Lord, give me the serenity to accept what I can't change. And it goes on from there. We want to be able to ride out these circumstances. But for the most part, in doing so, people in our world look to the inner self. Okay, I'm going to strengthen myself, I'm going to stand up to this, I'm going to dig into my resources and make it through. But we need something more. We need something more to survive difficult times. And what that is, is a knowledge of who God is based on our experience of Him and faith in God who is faithful, and hope, certain hope, that His glorious purposes will be accomplished. That's what gets us through difficult times. And that's something that I'm excited to talk about this week as we get into the book of Habakkuk. We've been going through the Minor Prophets together, those little books at the end of the Old Testament that so often we skip over and maybe some here have never actually read them or heard of them. But in seeing these people go through extremely troubled times as their nation was falling apart, as they were seeing everything around them taken away, seeing them go through their difficult times actually helps us to understand and to go through our times. The interesting thing, or the not the interesting thing, the incredibly beautiful thing about Habakkuk is how his book closes. And so we're actually going to start there with his hymn at the end of Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 17 through the beginning of verse 19. Habakkuk chapter 3. This is what the prophet says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's more than serenity. That's what we need in troubled times. Look at the circumstances that Habakkuk describes. He is talking about what is left after a scorched earth policy on the part of the enemies. As we will see, Habakkuk has just learned that the Babylonian armies are going to come through and invade the land and leave nothing behind them. The powerful nations of that day were skilled in warfare and skilled in destruction. You remember when we talked about the book of Amos and how the nations had threshed the land with iron sledges, leaving nothing and no one behind. With fire, through years of siege, they destroyed everything. And sometimes, just to be sure, they salted the earth so that it would produce no crops for years, even decades to come. Taking the people off into exile, leaving nothing behind, that's what Habakkuk describes In this land of plenty, remember the descriptions of the promised land? The land flowing with milk and honey? In that land of plenty, nothing will be left. The fig trees won't produce. The grapevines won't produce. The fields won't produce. Famine. No sheep in the pen. No cattle in the stalls. Zero resources for those who remain. That's the devastation that Habakkuk is describing. And then he says, I will be joyful. He doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. I will rejoice in God my Savior. Then he goes on to describe strength and victory Remember again, as we've gone through these minor prophets, several times we have seen the Lord come down and tread the mountaintops. Those are descriptions of His sovereignty and of His power. And Habakkuk says, I will tread the mountaintops because God strengthens me. He is my joy. Those circumstances... And that inner world is what the prophet presents to us. But it's not easy for him to get there. And so what we're going to spend most of our time today is talking about a journey that the prophet had to go through in order to reach that place of strength and joy and victory despite his circumstances. The journey starts in chapter 1, and it starts with a complaint. Habakkuk complains to the Lord. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk is actually talking about his own country, the country of Judah, he is looking around him, and he sees the violence and the injustice that we have talked about week after week as each one of the prophet, prophets decries the moral decay, the decline of their nation, the complete loss of following the law of the Lord. He looks around him, and he sees violence, and he sees injustice, and he is distressed. He is genuinely distressed as he shares these words. In fact, he starts out saying, I'm calling on you, Lord. But very quickly, that calling strengthens through, through parallelism into crying out, into a voice that is lifted up in dismay, crying out to the Lord about what he is seeing Around him. So the prophet is genuinely distressed at the situation that he sees in his own nation and he lifts that up to the Lord. But it's so important as we read this to see that in doing this, he is focused on himself. He is genuinely complaining to the Lord. And how often, when we complain to the Lord, are we in the middle of that? conversation. Listen to how he talks about himself. I call. I cry out. I look at violence, injustice in my presence. Why do you let me endure and see these things? And what does he say about God? God doesn't listen. God doesn't save. God forces me to look on these things. He tolerates injustice. He allows the success of the wicked and the overturning of the law. Habakkuk is focused on himself. He's the center of his world, and his primary sense of offense is what God is allowing him to endure and to see how often is that true in our own lives, from the little things to the big things. Absolutely true story. You know in your refrigerator you have the the butter whatever. (laughs) So we had six packets of mayonnaise, you know the little packets you can take with you when you go camping, six packets of mayonnaise in the little butter drawer. I opened up the fridge, and one of them fell out. I picked it up, and as I opened the butter drawer to put that one in, the other one fell out. And five times, five times, I picked up one, put it in, and another fell out, and I just about threw the refrigerator out the window. How ridiculous. But it's the same thing when the traffic lights line up the wrong way, when the little things go wrong. Why do I get so angry? It's not because it in any way violates the holiness of Christ or offends Him. It's all about me. I think the world ought to go my way all the time. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And then the big things. How many things go wrong in life? And on top of the sickness is financial loss, and on top of the financial loss is some conflict in relationships or or whatever it might be, and then at work. Some selfish person takes credit for our work over and over and over again, and they prosper, and we suffer. And it just seems to keep going. And we begin to cry out, how long are you going to make me look at this and live through this? Why? Well, God has an answer. for Habakkuk in his selfish little world. Look what he says in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. God says to Habakkuk, I am at work and I am accomplishing, accomplishing something astounding And then he goes on to describe what that astounding thing is. You know, you hear those words and you think, yes, (laughs) he's going to do everything I want him to do. And he says, I'm going to bring Babylon, that wicked nation, that nation that tears apart everything in its path, that overcomes every obstacle that nation that is a god and a law unto itself, that nation that is ruthless and proud and powerful and exists in idolatry, I'm going to bring Babylon to punish Judah. That's not what Habakkuk was hoping for. That's not the kind of justice that he was seeking. He gets his answer. God says, I am doing bigger things than you can imagine. I am accomplishing cosmic purposes. But it's still distressing for you. It's not going to get any better. That's what happens with Habakkuk's complaint things go from bad to worse. But what's remarkable is that when Habakkuk learns about things going from bad to worse, it's kind of like God shakes him. He is startled. He is stunned out of his focus on himself and begins to have a conversation with God that he needs to have. Habakkuk begins seeking instead of complaining. His seeking starts with him speaking the truth about God. There's an important principle for us. Look at verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Earlier, all he was telling himself was lies about God. Now he begins to rehearse the truth. He recites to himself the eternality of the Lord and his holiness, the fact that he is indeed just, he is trustworthy and faithful, my rock, who never changes. He is sovereign and he is pure. And it is in this process of telling himself the truth that he begins to experience inner transformation. It's so important to tell ourselves the truth. This is a lesson I learned from my wife, who at times has struggled with depression. And one of the primary tools is telling myself the truth. The lies want to cycle and repeat themselves in your head. Tell yourself the truth, the things that you know, that you have read, that have been confirmed and cannot be denied. Habakkuk begins to tell himself the truth. But he still has questions, doesn't he? Knowing the truth about God doesn't change the fact that this does not make sense. How can this be? Why are you doing this? What is happening? And so the second thing that he does is wait on the Lord. What we see him doing is staying engaged with God. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He's asked these questions of the Lord. And he says, I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. When things go from bad to worse, when things go from disappointment to devastation, is so often the time that we disengage from the Lord. It's kind of like we made a deal with God at some point in our lives. I'm going to do all of these things. Sometimes we've actually been taught this, by the way. You do all the right things, and God is going to bless you, right? I've done all the right things, and you've disappointed me, and I've tried to do all the right things even harder, and you've completely let me down. Forget it, right? And we disengage, disconnect. Habakkuk says, I'm going to go to my watchtower, and I'm going to wait for the Lord, because he needs an answer. He needs to hear. He stays engaged in that relationship while he waits on God. And what a mercy God answers. This is the God of all the universe this is the creator. This is the one who doesn't have to give an account to anybody. Have you ever wanted to say, because I say so? <laughs> if anybody can say that, God can say that, but He doesn't. He hears us. Think about David in the Psalms. Have you ever listened to his Psalms of complaint? his accusation as he pours his heart out before the Lord. You know what? God's shoulders are big enough to hear the complaints of the prophet and of the psalmist, and He actually invites us to come into His presence and tell Him about it. He calls us to engage Him with the process that's going on in our hearts, and he's gracious enough to answer. There's one other thing that Habakkuk does in this verse that is so important. He externalizes his complaint. Did you see that interesting turn of phrase at the end of chapter 2 verse 1? I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. At the beginning of chapter 1, Habakkuk owns the complaint, and he is bringing it before the Lord and demanding accountability before God to him for this complaint. In chapter 2, as he begins to rehearse the truth to himself, and as he continues to engage with the Lord, he says, this complaint is real. I still have questions why, I don't understand how this can be, but God is going to answer that complaint and I need to hear that answer. He tells himself the truth. He knows about the goodness and the purity and the sovereignty of God. And so he waits for how God is going to speak into his situation and God's answer is wait might not be very satisfying and we know from history that Habakkuk didn't outwait the answer that's not what i mean to say what i mean to say is the answer came after habakkuk died that's how long he had to wait. But God said, wait. Again, because he has purposes that he is accomplishing that are for our good and are for his glory. And sometimes those eternal purposes take a long time to accomplish We need to have an eternal perspective. Our little life is about this long compared to all of eternity, and God's primary interest is all of eternity, not what makes us comfortable at this little moment in our life. This is what His purposes are about. And therefore are good, as well as being for His glory. One example in John chapter nine, when Jesus is with his disciples, and they see the man who was born blind, and the disciples say, "Why was this man born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin?" And Jesus said, "It's not because of anybody's sin. This happened." so that God can get glory. Now, let's think about that in a historical perspective. Let's think about a mom and a dad who have a little baby, and they love that little baby, but sooner or later they start to realize that little baby's eyes aren't tracking, right? And they come to the realization that baby's blind. Think about the years, think about the trials, think about the struggles of raising that baby that was born blind in that world of the first century. Think about the loss and the grief. And there was one purpose for it, and that is that God gets glory. They endured all of those years until his adulthood. In the course of the conversation, we learn that this man is of age. He can answer for himself. That many years have passed by, and when the moment comes of giving God glory, two things happen. The man who was born blind gives God glory, and the parents cower back in fear. And all of those years of struggle were lost on them because they didn't wait patiently to see God's purposes accomplished, but the man did. That's the type of thing we're talking about. We're talking about the years of struggle, but the accomplishment of God's glorious purpose, and that's what we need to stay engaged in. While Habakkuk is waiting, he learns three things. So chapter two continues, and basically the rest of the chapter is God describing the destruction that's going to come upon Babylon, okay? So Judah is violent and unjust. God is going to bring a more violent and more unjust Babylon to punish Judah. And then God is saying in chapter two, I am also going to publish punish Babylon for its violence and injustice. And in the midst of this description of what God is going to do, Habakkuk learns three things. First of all, he learns that we live by faith, not by sight. Chapter 2, verse 4. See, The enemy, this is Babylon, is puffed up. His desires are not upright. So in contrast to the pride of the nations, in contrast to self-sufficiency, in contrast to being a law unto oneself, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The first thing that gets us through while we wait for God to accomplish His glorious purposes, is trusting in Him and falling on His faithfulness. It's actually a bit of an interpretive issue here. Whose faithfulness? Is it the faithfulness of the righteous person, or is it the faithfulness of God? Little side note, same thing is true in the New Testament. The faithfulness, of Christ or faith in Christ. Is it Christ faithfulness or is it our faith? And what you always come around to is, you know what, it doesn't really matter because both of those things are true. God is faithful, and that strengthens our faith, and so then we live by faith in the God who is faithful. And Habakkuk knows God is His rock. Habakkuk knows God is faithful. What I'm seeing doesn't make any sense, and the journey is long, and I might never see the glorious purposes that are accomplished, but I know that God is faithful, and I'm going to trust Him in the middle of whatever this disaster happens to be. The righteous will live by faith. First lesson that Habakkuk sees. Second lesson that Habakkuk sees while he is waiting is that in the end, God gets the glory, and that is our eternal hope. That is our confidence in the victory that is to come. The nations strive. I'm getting ahead of myself. We need to read the verse first. Okay, chapter 2, verse 13. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? So the prophet has been describing the strivings of the nations and building cities and building houses and uh, just um, seeking to establish ourselves and make a name for ourselves. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That's all going to burn up. The nations exhaust themselves for nothing. All of those strivings for accomplishment, it burns up. It's for nothing. But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters fill the seas. Is that the day you're waiting for? Is that the day that we can look forward to no matter how bad things get? The glory of the Lord is going to cover the whole earth. All the nations will see it. All of those strivings and all of those edifices to humanity are going to be torn down. And the glory of the Lord will cover the face of the earth. And that's worth waiting for, Habakkuk in the middle of all this. Then the third lesson that he learns, chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Over and against idolatry, the sovereignty and holiness of the living God. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. The wood's never going to come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The nations look to all of these things that are in fact of their own invention to carry them through and every single one of them is going to fail because they're dead, they're lifeless, they have no power. But the Lord, how many times have the minor prophets talked about the Lord in His temple? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord is in His holy temple, and all the earth is silent before Him. Because He is living. He is sovereign. He always accomplishes His purpose. And all that we can do in humble submission is to wait and to trust. I've been thinking this week of doctors. Doctors can treat, right? but they can't heal. It's okay to go to your doctor to get treatment, but please don't bank on that. Don't make that the idol. Don't make that your source of hope. God is the one who heals. And then that leads me to think about other things that we can make idols of. We can make idols out of our IRA, can't we? You know what? The day really might come that the fig trees do not blossom and the, the grapevines bear no fruit and the land doesn't produce and the IRA is empty. It really might happen. It's okay to save. It's okay to prepare, but we better not bank on that. If we do, it's an idol. What we bank on is the Lord. He's in his holy temple. And we are silent before him. And so Habakkuk, in seeing these lessons about God's faithfulness and God's glory in the end and God's holy sovereignty, comes to a place of trembling and trust before the Lord. We come to chapter 3 where the first thing that Habakkuk does is remember what the Lord has done. Chapter 3, verse 3, he recalls the Lord bringing the nation out of Egypt. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. He goes on then to describe pestilence, the plagues that were brought upon the people. He talks about victory over Midian. He's rehearsing what he knows was true of God in the past. And he actually says, what you have done, I will wait for you to do again. Remember, look back. Not only in the way that we have heard that God has been faithful, but at the ways that we've seen it true in our lives based on our own experience of Him, we can be confident. We can trust in Him. And so Habakkuk gets to verse 16. We started reading earlier in verse 17. Look at verse 16. I heard all the stuff that preceded, this whole process he went through. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. His circumstances aren't changing. He is terrified at what might happen. The future is still daunting." yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that is invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk looks with strength and with joy and with victory on these devastating circumstances because he knows who God is and he believes in God. And he is going to trust Him until the very end. So let's play a little game of fill-in-the-blank here. If you haven't yet, the day is going to come when you want to ask God, how can you be doing whatever it is to me? What's the trial? What's the loss? What's the struggle? Or a different question. If you are so holy and sovereign, how can you let this, happen, this injustice, this violence, this abuse, whatever the trouble is, you know in your own life how you would fill in that blank. It's okay to ask that question. That's the first thing. Have it out with God. Don't disengage, don't run from the question, don't try and stuff it down, because good people don't ask hard questions ask the hard questions, engage God with it. He's not afraid of it, and He's gracious enough to actually answer. But in doing so, live by faith, a faith that is based on truth, I know these things to be true about God, and even though what I see doesn't make sense, what I know is unshakable, and I am going to live by faith in these unshakable truths while I wait for the answer for the difficulty I'm going through. And then finally, wait on Him to accomplish not necessarily the comfortable thing that we want, but the glorious thing that he has determined. He understands. We do well to remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. In agonizing prayer, An anguished wrestling with the Father, finding that the way to victory and exaltation led through a cross and a grave. He went through it. He knows our experience. He is merciful to us as He calls us to follow Him faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this little example, just a few chapters, a couple of pages tucked in, but what a story. It's so very human. What a struggle. And what a great example. As we think of that example, we're reminded again of brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. They are persecuted for their faith right now. Lord, would you strengthen their faith in you in what they know to be true? Would you increase their hope, their unshakable hope in the glorious conclusion when the knowledge of God will cover the face of the earth? and help them to stay true because of what they know, despite of what they suffer. And Father, in our circumstances, objectively looking, we have it so much better than so many other people, but that doesn't change the fact that today some of us are suffering, some of us are grieving, Some of us are going through loss and uncertainty in jobs and in family and other areas of life. With what we are facing today, you are merciful. You hear. You understand. You are gracious to answer. Strengthen our faith. Increase our knowledge of the truth, Lord, we pray.
1: Enable
0: us to rejoice in the glorious conclusion even as we suffer through a difficult present and help us to walk, to tread on the tops of the mountains in the strength that you provide in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.